So what Sally was so subtly alluding to is what I'm talking about. What I want to talk about tonight is exploring, um, you know, the Buddha talks off all the time about the three unwholesome roots, really the cause of the cause of our suffering in our, in our minds, in our hearts on a moment-to-moment basis. And so tonight I want to just offer some thoughts about exploring one of them, dosa. Which is what I was talking about, throwing the thing against the wall. That's the moment of dosa, right? So, so I really want to talk about it in terms of inviting us to explore how, how this root arises and functions in our moment-to-moment experience. So really, it's a, um, I'm going to be talking mostly from a being in retreat point of view because this gives us, as we know, the, the stillness and the opportunity to explore sometimes on a, a less complex level how this route, how everything functions in our mind. So th- this talk can, is by no means comprehensive because there's so much to say, but different aspects that I just wanted to share from a lifelong exploration of this particular route in this particular mind-body system. So dosa, which is often shorthand translated as hatred, and we often talk about it as aversion, but it has a, a whole wide range of different moods or mental states, we could say, that partake of the particular function of dosa, which I'll talk about the function in a minute. I just wanted to read a list, I made this up, of some of them, just so you can start to feel the common flavor. Okay, so hatred, aversion, ill will, irritation, boredom, frustration, disappointment, impatience, denial, resistance, self-judgment, grief, despair, sorrow, depression, guilt, shame, anger, rage, aggression, regret, hostility, cruelty, fear, anxiety, terror. Feeling better now? <laughs> Cheer, Jeff. <laughs> but you see, some are like really very intense emotional states that lead, a, when we're not aware of them or they're stronger than our mindfulness, that can really lead into unwholesome speech and action that bring harm to ourselves and harm to another. And it's obviously suffering, right? Some are um, maybe more subtle but pervasive, like background states of heart and mind that we may not quite recognize are present, but they're still having the effect of coloring perception, distorting the, our, our perception. They're always, well, all the roots, the both, all three roots, but say just stick with dosa. It's rooted, the suffering aspect of it is rooted in that it, when it's present, we don't recognize, perceive ourselves or others or reality accurately. I think I talked about that in the very beginning with right view. Once the perception's inaccurate and then it's fed by more dose of thoughts and we get farther and further from what's really true and our actions and speech can cause ourselves and others more harm, more, un- more suffering. So... I want to talk about it tonight, not to say, to say, oh, 
dosa, aversion, all these things are bad and we should get over it now, you know, that we have to purify our mind and that means these are bad and stop it because that's just meeting dosa with more dosa. It doesn't work. But it's really um, an invitation with wise attitude of interest and not taking it personally, but to really explore how these, this, these particular mental states act in the mind. Does, how does it create more suffering in our own experience and for others? So it's a real invitation, which this, this interest is possible when we, in the moments that we recognize that this is a conditioned habit that's a human experience, not just me being a bad person or really reveling. The other side from being a bad person is really reveling in, you know, the anger or the self-righteousness or, you know, really, yes, this is the right thing. And, and so I'll talk a little bit about that too. But really seeing this is just uh, part of the human condition. And from, in the most cases, uh, dosa, aversion, anger is more obviously a suffering state to us than greed or delusion. You know, we tend to notice it more quickly. It's more obviously suffering. And when we're acting from it, we tend to get more feedback from other people, you know, that they don't like us so much, you know. So that can, can feed it if the suffering's going in, if the dosa's going into self-judgment. So even though it's more obviously a suffering state maybe than greed or delusion until we explore them, that doesn't make it easier to understand. So just to, just to, just to have this interest to explore and not take it personal. That's so huge. I remember for myself quite some years ago, but I, I, I mean, having an aversive tendency doesn't mean you go around being angry all the time. It's like, as I mentioned in, I think, in one of the Brahma Viharas, there can be a habit of mind that just tends to notice unpleasant first. It just kind of, that's the habit. And another habit might notice pleasant, and another habit doesn't really, you know, notice much of anything. So <laughs> that's, you know, <laughs> greed, hatred, delusion. <laughs> so that's a habit. And I had been branded at an IMS when I was on staff as, oh, yo, you're clearly the aversive type. To which my first response was, I don't like that. <laughs> I thought, hmm. <laughs> and then we just go around joking about it. You know, yeah, Carol's the aversive type, Joseph's the greed type, Sharon's the deluded type, you know. So um, noticing that. But anyway, because it's true, people tend to respond. No, no one goes around to Joseph going, oh, you're so greedy, you know. But, oh, yeah, I just have to, like, look cross-eyed and people go, oh, yeah, you're such an aversive type, you know. So I, so I didn't realize, actually, that there was a way when little aversion would come up in my mind that um, there was a kind of a subtle, not a denial, but a sense of not quite wanting to see it, taking it more personally than other experiences that come up. So I remember this one time I was with a particular teacher, actually wasn't even Buddhist, but um, we're just, everything's just arising in the space of awareness to use the language we're using here. Any, whatever was coming, no problem. And then a real aversive thought came up and I saw in that moment, it just came and went like everything else because that was just another thought. And it was, wow. That's right. Aversion's just another arising mental state, just like anything else. 
And I had been really identifying with it, making it more of a thing, which actually prevents clear seeing. So that was a really freeing moment. I'm just offering that in terms of that's the, the, the space we can bring to explore this or anything else that's difficult in our experience. So first thing I want to say, talking about really on the moment-to-moment level that we can at times explore here. And it may seem, you know, very subtle and precise, but it's still the same way our heart-mind functions in more, you know, wider, complex situations in our daily life. But what's going on in a moment of dosa? Okay, so the, the whole dependent origination where there's contact feeling, unpleasant feeling arises. And as we've talked about, the, the habit of mind really is the dosa of, of, of unpleasantness. So the habit is to go into dosa if we don't see it clearly. Aversion or fear, just to say it that way, with all the ramifications. And how that functions is <clears throat> in a moment there's unpleasant, whatever the sense contact is, and the dosa is like it just, just pulls back just doesn't want to connect in a way. I mean, I'm personifying it, right? But it's like, this is unpleasant, just pulls back, like a knee-jerk reaction. So there's a disconnect in that moment. The attention, the awareness just isn't really just landing wholly in whatever the experience is. It could just be an unpleasant sound, you know? It doesn't have to be, so it just pulls back. And in that, in that response of pulling back, it's first... Whatever is occurring that's unpleasant, it's that pulling back of dosa is, occur, is occurring in response to a sense contact that's happening right now, right now. So even if there's a thought, a, a really painful memory of 10 years ago, and, 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 and you know, it, it shoots into all the memories and all this, and it's really painful, and it's shame or it's fear or whatever, because of the pulling back and the not recognizing accurately, the, the, the awareness may not actually recognize that it's something that's occurring now that's unpleasant, that's giving rise to that dosa reaction. We go off, because there's that gap, that mind, this is the gap between dosa and becoming, but it's not the gap that's freeing. The guy was talking about last night. It's the gap of delusion not last night, whenever he talked, it all blends. The gap of, <laughs> doesn't it? Do you have, you know, just... The gap of disconnect. And in that comes just flooding, because the mind's so fast. Thoughts and memories and emotions and reactions and a whole story so quick that we may not even be able to find our way back to what's the sense contact that triggered it, Right? But even if, say, shame, just pick shame, it's a, that's a huge, difficult, really a difficult one to, to land in and feel, and all the stories. But the memory is a thought that's occurring now. The shame that's being felt is a physical, uh, mental experience that's occurring now. The content may be about the past and about our whole life. That's or it may be about the future. Fear projects into the future. It's going to feel like this forever. I'm going to keep acting like this forever. And you see how we're in this story in no time. And we may be aware that it's shame, that it's fear. But because the tendency is to jump away from the contact, we may, it, it may be 
without steady satipanya, mindfulness, wisdom, we may not recognize, oh, this, oh, this memory is a thought arising now. And mindfulness can just meet that thought arising now. This shame is a feeling arising now. Sometimes if mindfulness is balanced enough, we can meet that thought arising now. This, I don't know if this seems simplistic or unworkable, but to me this has been incredibly freeing and useful. Because when I get all involved in even my daily life in some really suffering dynamic, go, what's, and I'm trying to figure it out and think it through, go, what's happening now? And just relax into the present moment, not looking for an intellectual answer. What's happening now? And I may just feel, uh, in the pit of my stomach. Couldn't even name what it is. You don't need to. It's, oh, difficult, unpleasant, whatever. Mindfulness just can be with that for that moment. You know, and then it moves into whatever happens next. So this is where we, we cut through all the papancha to see, oh, whatever it is, it's being triggered by something occurring now because that's the whole there is, you know, past, future, or thoughts. But it really is amazing when we can watch how quickly everything can flow into that little quick gap of pulling away. So like a Sim, I'm making this up, a simple example. There's some unpleasant sound. You're sitting in the hall and there's some sound from a person that it's unpleasant. You don't quite notice hearing unpleasant. The immediate, so the mind goes, just does that when we don't quite notice it. And the, the mind, that reminds me of my father. Maybe that's not even clear. There's just a feeling of my father. He used to do that. I remember all the times he used to do that. And, 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 and it was unpleasant. And we'd get in these arguments. And he didn't respect me. And nobody respects me. And, 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 you know. and in two seconds, it's down the road. And not recognizing quite Satipani right at that sense door. And maybe I'm aware of the story. But maybe I'm not quite in touch with the resentment or the aversion that's fueling each new thought and each new memory. I'm not quite present with each thought and memory. And pretty soon, right? And it's amazing how fast the mind moves. We're in a, in a whole storm of resentment and all the times that I wasn't respected and, you know, and back in my life. And, okay, and sometimes we can bring mindfulness to that and actually it unwraps a whole, it allows to arise a whole um, personal insight into habits that have arisen in our life and we really see it in a purifying kind of way. Now you all know what I mean. But that feels different because at some point your attention lands in the middle of that process and you're no longer fighting it or just, oh wow, no wonder I feel disrespected. That's how it all worked. Yeah, that's how it is. We don't spin on it anymore. We're just seeing how it is. So, but when we don't recognize, we can get into a whole cycle of judgment or fear, or whatever. Saito Pandita used to call it like, we're like a cow chewing the cud. You know, like it, we, we get all upset about something, that sound, my father, the past, and then it passes. And then you, you think, yeah, that sound, that really bugged me. And that's because, and it's like we, regurgitate, you know, the cud and let's chew it some more. Let's just chew over that unpleasant thought one more time. And some of you have mentioned noticing how the mind does it when things get calm. Well, nothing's happening now. Let's just call up that unpleasant experience that happened and really think about it some more, right? That's when you know 
what the Buddha said, putajanas, the unenlightened worldling, are mad, you know. <laughs> We're crazy. <laughs> it's like, yes. Who's gonna, as Buddha Dasa says, who wants to volunteer for suffering? Me. <laughs> Things are calm. Let's get all activated. Okay, we don't always do it a lot. of just we pull away. So, but one of the big things about when, um, when dosa is then sort of coloring, is distorting the chitta, the, is that we don't recognize accurately what is occurring. And this is really one of the biggest suffering aspects of it. It's from the Buddha. And he says a similar thing about greed and about delusion too. So I'm just reading the one about um, dosa. Again, Brahmin, when one dwells with a mind, which is chitta, mind, heart, obsessed and oppressed by ill will, by dosa, does not understand as it really is the escape from arisen ill will, arisen dosa. On that occasion, one neither knows or sees as it really is one's own good or the good of others or the good of both. And this I have taken so much to heart to really just notice whether there's greed or dosa or confusion, as soon as you can even notice it's tinging the perception. Maybe it's huge. You know you're in total rage. It's, that's not rocket science. You can tell rage is going on. You know, you may not be mindful, but you can tell rage is going on. Or it may be more subtle disappointment. But as soon as you keep recognizing that this quality is kind of in the chitta, in the heart and mind right now, and you can tell you're not really quite able to be mindful of it, it's distorting things, then you know you can't really trust whatever assessment or evaluation thoughts are making then. You just can't trust it. Is it right? Is it wrong? You can't trust it because the perception is distorted by arisen ill will, by arisen greed. As the Buddha says, you just can't see your own good or the good of another or of both. And even more, um, you can see sometimes how um, dosa in the mind really distorts the actual perception. I mean, it's not uncommon when you're really really in a negative mood or really particularly angry at a person and you look at that person, they look more ugly. You know what I mean? You don't really see. Or you look at yourself and you look more ugly. Or, you know, I know when I'm something like, say the sound, I picked that sound and the sound bothered you a little. But then there's that pulling away, the dose is coming in, and then every time the sound comes, it's louder and louder and more and more obnoxious. I had written down here something I'd forgotten, but... Once I was on a long retreat at IMS and the radiators there in the winter kind of would make these pinging sounds. You know, I mean, they've been doing that forever. I'd lived there for years. It was, this was not new information or a new experience. But one day, one of those days, you know, when you kind of know there's dosa in the mind, but not quite, but suddenly your body hurts, everything hurts, nothing works, the pillow's too hard, although it's been fine for three weeks, and the people next to you are disgusting, even though you loved them yesterday, the food is repulsive, and it takes a while to notice, maybe there's a lens going on here. 
It really takes a while. But so this was a day like this. And then the radiator sounds, they, they literally started to sound like, you know, little explosions. Like a little explosion and I'd jump and there'd be so much like negative, unpleasant feelings radiating out of that. And then the next, that would like spill over and the next radiator sound would be even more of an explosion. And it just bills and bills when we're not aware. You know, we might have, you know, sort of mindfulness. You kind of know it's there, but there's still this, this pulling away, which can be either aversion, it can, it can manifest in, you know, blame, aggression, or it can manifest in fear, which is like retreating dosa, retreating aversion. But it can literally distort perception, and then that will distort our judgment. And if you notice, and then because of the tendency to just think it's right, we only escape we know, I read that, is to escape from unpleasant feeling by getting the hell out of there, right? If the best you can do is have a pleasant fantasy, you'll do that. But if there's something else, you'll get out of there or do whatever we can to avoid the unpleasant feeling that's giving rise to dosa. And because the, we're not seeing the dosa, we can't see clearly, you know? A friend of mine told me a few years ago a story in her daily life. She uh, was in Massachusetts and she was just beginning to, to do teaching Dharma some weekends. And a very, very close friend of hers that she didn't see often invited her to come teach a weekend quite a few states away. And the fact was that the, my friend was really busy and to drive down to this state and teach this weekend would really have been very, very difficult and exhausting. And, and she really didn't want to do it. But the thought of saying no to her friend and imagining her friend being hurt or her friend being angry, that thought was so unpleasant that she didn't even want to go there. So the thought would come, she'd move away from it. She's making all these plans to do this crazy weekend because she didn't want to feel the unpleasant feeling that came when she had the thought, what if my friend's upset? And she went through quite a long time of not being able to actually call her friend and say, you know what, I can't do this. And then when she saw, this is crazy. Look at everything I'm trying to do to avoid feeling this unpleasant feeling of hurting my friend. And I don't even know if that's the truth. It's just a thought that's occurring now. I don't want to feel. Can you relate to that? So she finally called her friend who was of course totally fine. I mean, it was no problem. You know, we just, if we tell the truth in the first place, but so that kind of thing. Maybe, maybe you've noticed here, I see this all the time in my life and talking to a lot of you. Sometimes on retreat, which direction to go? Maybe I'll start from what we first noticed. You may notice it can happen in different ways, but things have been going fine, whatever that means to you or good, or calm, or whatever, right, in quotes, whatever that is for you. And then, you know, as one yogi used to come and say to me all the time, it's all gone to hell in a handbasket. And I used to say, what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, I get the drift, but anyway. <laughs> and you come in and go, it's all over, it's gone, it's here, you know. And so what's happening, either all of a sudden there's lots of thoughts going on, or there's, you're in a lot of self-judgment, or there's a lot of, um, some kind of dosa thoughts are happening. It could be all different, but all over the place and different patterns, and you really feel caught and spinning and... It's kind of, it's what I call in my own experience, the crazy place. There's a certain intensity 
to all the different things that are coming up, but, but it feels disconnected. There's this sense of why is all this happening and what really is going on, you know? And, and then after some, now I recognize for myself that certain kind of crazed intensity and all these unpleasant, really difficult patterns are coming up of uh, maybe avoidance or maybe thinking all these past things or maybe having anger at someone. Or, but I, it, it doesn't quite hold together in some sensible way. And then I'll, I'll say, okay, what I just said before, what's happening now? And just feel my body and I'll say, oh, loneliness feels like that. Or I really feel hurt or whatever it happens to be. And it's a particular pattern, emotion, feeling that's one of the ones that in the conditioning of my life, I've either been afraid to feel or conditioned myself not to feel or it's just too unpleasant or whatever, that I have the habit of being afraid to feel it. And this is all unconscious. I'm not saying, oh, here's shame. I'm afraid to feel it. Let me go make up a bunch of stupid stories. It's, you just don't know what's happening. You land in it. Just touch it with mindful, oh, it's like this. And I always know that awareness has touched what's happening because all the hoo-ha, all the papancha, just for that moment dies away. And it's a sense of relief. It's like, oh, yeah, really unpleasant. It feels like this. And so I see it's that same habit of doing the mind doing all this stuff not to feel a particular really painful feeling that I've been in the habit of not being able or wanting to touch. And as I say, this isn't something you can force. And there can be many good reasons in our lives and past trauma and stuff where you don't force your way in. And I'll talk a little bit about that. But I'm just talking about the, the, um, the process now. So even just recognizing this process is going on or there's something happening, I don't know what it is. Maybe you can touch it, you don't have to stay there. But just to see... Oh yeah, when dose is in operation and we don't see it and we're pulled away from experience, it just keeps feeding on itself and complicating and complexifying and we're the one who's suffering. The Buddha said in talking about seeing, you know, how does, how does aversion, how does ill will arise in the mind? He says this is in terms of the hindrances but it arises, the immediate cause is unwise attention to what they call the translations, unwise attention to the unpleasant aspect or the repugnant aspect of an unpleasant situation. So the example that Thich Nhat Hanh always gives, which I find easy to relate to. So if you have one little, one tooth that has a little chip in it, it doesn't actually hurt. All the rest of your teeth are fine, but you have one tooth with a little chip. Do you notice how often your tongue goes to that little chip? You're sitting there. You're not usually running your tongue over your teeth in the sitting, but in this case, you know, and a little bit of aversion, a little bit of aversion. Yeah, that's really bad. I got to go to the dinner. No, no, no. Why did my tooth chip? My body's crapping out. I'm getting old. It's all over. It's just unwise attention to the repugnance of of an unpleasant thing. So simple. And it can go so far, so fast. So so just noticing that. And I just want to mention the particular 
um, dosa experience of self-judgment, which one or two of you might have experienced during this <laughs> retreat. It very much grows and builds in the same way. I mean, the reason it's a condition in your particular mind-body system, you can, we can all look in our past and see the reasons why the particular habits are there. And I find they may come up on retreat, but are in therapy to explore. It can be useful. For me, once I've seen why a pattern's there, it really helps my mind not take it personally anymore. I don't have to go back and my mother and my father and my upbringing. Oh, yeah, right. I understand why that's there. These conditions come. It's unpleasant. Without awareness, this habit comes. Uh, It's impersonal. So for whatever reason in each of of your minds that there may be this habit of self-judgment, recognize it's basically an expression of dosa, a pulling away from a rejecting of either not wanting to see the particular experience that's arising, the particular sense contact, one of those six, as I think Sally said, that's all that's happening. And we're all, I mean, really, on this, on, this is on the very kind of radical level. Even when it's extremely intense and sometimes we can't see what's really happening. We can't. I mean, that's not in our control sometimes. But on the radical level, all that's going on in total self-hatred and I look and what's happening? Well, it started with a pain in my toe. This is a real story. It started with a pain in my toe that was unrecognized when I was walking. And each step there was a little pain. It didn't, not even a big pain. Unrecognized. The mind didn't want to see it. It went into more negativity, more, you know, more dosa, and that it took the form of self-judgment. That, well, you're not doing it right now. You're in aversion. And the self-judgment is almost always arising from, you know, not really a dissatisfaction with whatever the particular experience is that's happening now. It's similar to doubt. When things are going well, are you racked with self-judgment? Unless craving comes up and then you can find a way to rack yourself. It's going well, but now there's craving. I blew it, right? But, but usually self-judgment comes as a reaction of dosa to some particular thing that's occurring. It's often uh, in response to a view. It's a whole other talk, but as we've mentioned views. The view, it's supposed to be like this and not like that. The view in talking about dosa, the view that we're here to really purify our heart-mind, Dosa arising is a suffering aspect, causes suffering to me and others. Therefore, it's bad. I'm wrong. I've been practicing all this time. Dosa is still arising. I'm hopeless. It shouldn't be. And all the views, right? Have you noticed that happening at all? And when the view comes, our experience doesn't match it. There's an unpleasant feeling, a pulling away, and then it can totally feed into self-judgment. And because each self-judging thought is unpleasant in itself, experience of self-hatred is very unpleasant. Again, because dose is functioning, the mindfulness isn't landing on the experience and it just keeps spinning out, spinning out, spinning out. There's one last thing about the self-judgment. Notice often what can feed believing in self-judgment is an unseen view that of perfectionism, basically. That somehow it's, things are supposed to be perfect. And we think, well, no, I know things aren't supposed to be perfect. Look and see. In your mind, 
You think, well, no craving should arise. I've understood now that craving brings suffering and I'm going to let it go. And expecting, you know, that's how it should be. Expecting it's that when we talk about open awareness and noticing things come and go, and people think, well, it should be all neat and tidy. It's chaotic. It's chaotic. What am I doing wrong? It's supposed to just be, come and go, come and go, nice, nice, nice. But it's not. Things are all coming and going. And I don't see the beginning and the middle and the end. And, you know, it's not like, how can I see the beginning and the middle and the end? It doesn't stay there. Something else comes. What am I doing wrong? You know? And then we go off into self-judgment. So just check it out. That's just a little side, just a little side hint. So, so our practice of mindfulness wisdom, satipanya, just again a few little hints, this is by no means comprehensive, of how we can use satipanya to begin to notice how to be with the various forms of dosa, and also then how to work with wisdom and compassion when the intensity of the dosa is stronger than the energy and the mindfulness, and we actually need to balance the attention doing something else. That's not the same as the running away, the, the knee-jerk avoidance of dosa. So the Buddha, as always, when we talk about how the Buddha taught, is the middle path. And I think, and again, this is very simple sketching, um, the, maybe the two most common responses to really strong, unpleasant dosa states, either anger or hatred or fear or whatever that we notice. One is, um, it comes up and there's like the self-judging, it's obvious suffering, we don't like it, others don't like it, it shouldn't be here. And so the tendency to, um, again, is to disconnect, but to avoid it, to repress it, not to even quite let it up into consciousness. And sometimes we sort of, you know how denial works, you kind of know you're doing it, but then you don't. But sometimes we really don't even know. It's way below the level of consciousness. This is when sometimes on retreat, a really strong pattern, I'll take shame again, comes up that we really hadn't consciously felt because the system in our mind of keeping it out of sight, out of mind, has really been very stringently cultivated over our life. So that's one. No, we think it's a mistake when it comes up. And then the other side, uh, the other flip side that the Buddha says neither of these, is to really completely, fully embrace anger, rage, aggression, fear, whatever it is that comes up. And as you know, it is, anger particularly is very energizing. So the energy comes, you know, and we think, well, I can't just push this energy down. I've got to really, really embrace it. This is the way to go. And um, especially sometimes if we're just discovering that we've been repressing it our whole life and we, we really don't know any other way than really letting it up, you know. So I'm not saying we don't let it up, but I'm saying it's the total embracing of it that's a little different. This is what the Dalai Lama says. He's talking about compassion, of course. He says, when someone asks him, why is there a lack of compassion in human society? And he says, Perhaps we just pay less attention to compassion and caring. We reinforce it less. Whereas in some sense, we fully embrace hostility and anger as an emotional state. 
fueling or reinforcing it. If we were to give the same amount of energy, attention, and reinforcement to compassion and caring, they would definitely be stronger. And I say that's also what we're doing with mindfulness, with awareness, giving the same energy to mindfulness and awareness. So not fully embracing and identifying and going with it and acting from dosa and not pressing it down. The middle way of the Buddha of Satipanya, mindfulness wisdom at the sense door is ideally, okay, this is ideally, and then with all different ramifications of how it is in the moment. So please, if the ideal isn't working for you in a moment, hear the other things I say too. <laughs> so ideally, it's like the awareness wisdom can just fully meet that moment. So say it's anger, let's pick that. Anger arising in a moment can be a really strong energy. Mindfulness can meet that energy. It's not trying to deny it or push it away. It can really let the energy roar. But with mindfulness, we see it. This is a mental state. This is physical energy. We can see what it is. And it's not necessary to act on it. It's not necessary to be afraid of it. It can come. It can go. We're not denying the energy, but we're not getting into the content so much. Do you see what I mean? It's really simple awareness is really powerful that way. I think for, for some of us, some of we're all different, but for, for some of us, like for me, who's been in the habit of not really wanting to let that up, there can al- almost be a kind of a fear of experiencing the powerful fear or anger or hostility energy, even just sitting here, afraid of if I f- really feel it, I'm going to act from it, or it's like the old. So really learning that with mindfulness, we can trust it. Said Upandita said to me one time in an interview, I actually don't remember what was going on with me, but it was really stuck with me. He said, you know, you don't, with mindfulness, you don't have to be afraid of anything. And he was talking on their trees, basically, meant, I don't have to be afraid of anything that arose in my mind, in my body. You know, mindfulness could be there with it. And that was really, really impactful for me. I hadn't even realized I was afraid of something, but he was so astute, he could, could tell what was going on. Something Dingo Kensi Rinpoche says really helps me. With a strong energy of, of anger, for example, or any of the dosa states. You know, Dingo Kensi was a very, very great awakened Tibetan person. Anyway, he's saying thoughts and feelings have no intrinsic solidity, form, shape, or color, right? So when a thought of anger arises in the mind with such force that you feel aggressive and destructive, is that thought of anger actually brandishing a weapon? Is that thought of anger, can it, that thought really burn things like fire, crush them like a rock? or carry them away like a violent river? No. Anger, like any other thought or feeling, has no real self-existence, not even a definite location. And this is what, it's just like wind roaring in empty space. I love that. I love that. So let the energy come up. Just sitting here, it's roaring in empty space. 
thoughts of aggression can come up. We don't have to be afraid of them. If there's awareness, we're not going to get up and hit that person next to you upside the head, hopefully. So far, not. These thoughts come up in, I want to say in all of us, maybe not in some of you really cooled out folks, but stuff comes up. It's, let it come. Let it go. Really see. It's like wind roaring in empty space. Awareness doesn't have to be afraid of it. Yeah, it's unpleasant. Okay. It's unpleasant. Half of life is unpleasant. Let it roar. Last line. Instead of allowing wild thoughts to enslave you, you can realize their essential emptiness. So this is really one way the Buddha was talking. Satipanya, just at the sense door as best we can. Either just that simple sense of the sound that's triggering it or the wind roaring in empty space, when that's possible. Sharon has a line I really like that says, the opening to truth is what frees our heart from fear and selfishness. And Dogen Zenji said, if you cannot find truth right where you are, where else do you expect to find it? So when anger's arising, and we can really let it roar like empty space, bring awareness, mindfulness to it, that's the truth of this moment. And the opening to that truth is what frees our heart from fear and selfishness, not the avoiding it or trying to pretend it's not happening. And knowing we're not going to be perfect. You know, of course it's not always going to be like that. But that as a possibility. So this is like little nuts and bolts, a few little hints on in our working with different ways of aversion or dosa coming up in our mindfulness practice. So the first one is that, just bringing your attention. None of these are always possible, just different ways. When there's something going on that keeps eliciting, really anger, aggression, aversion, fear, whatever, it keeps happening. And we're, we're maybe even mindful of the state but not quite able to notice the sense contact, but maybe you can bring your attention there. That really helps. Example, there's always a practicing in Asia example, but one time I was sitting in a retreat center in Burma, and for whatever reason, well, this is normal, they were doing construction. It's extremely rare to sit at a retreat center in Burma that they're not doing construction. But they're doing construction, and just across the little road outside my kuti, not, as, not even as far as the wall back there, they started with, with, with electric sanders, two different ones on two different frequencies, you know, <laughs> from 7 a.m. to 5, <laughs> it was like all day, you know, and then it stopped and it was start and it stopped. And it was, so you can imagine, right, all the different things you go through. Finally, out of total desperation, yeah, which is, of course, the last thing we ever do is surrender, right? Out of total desperation. Just bring the attention right to the ear door hearing. Just quit resisting the hearing and be there. So that's what just went... <laughs> and because it's just being with it, without the gap and without all the stories and what are they, insane and all of that stuff, it's just what it was. Really, it's just what it was. You can, so we, that's one way. Definitely not always available, but sometimes we don't even want to try it. It's amazing sometimes. Another one, when there's like a bigger thing going on and we can see, no, I don't want to, I can't go there. A friend years ago, she sat a lot of um, three-month retreats, told me how she related to this. She said she would, she was um, 
you know, middle-aged woman and, and not a real athlete or anything. And sometimes she would go to the beach with her grown sons. And she'd, she'd be at the beach and they'd be just in the water, you know, near the, near the shore. And whenever a big wave would come, she'd see it and she'd turn around and run, you know, to try and get away from it. And she said, and always the wave would come and clobber her, you know, and just turn her over and over. And her kids would say, Mom, don't turn and run. Face the wave and just dive into it, and then it won't bother you. And she said she was only able to do that once or twice because the habit of, oh no, here it comes, turn and run, was just so strong. But she was relating this to her, her practice on retreat when some unpleasant, difficult thing would come and she could see the react, get the heck out of here, you know. Larry Rosenberg, who's a, a great teacher in Cambridge, and he used to love to watch old movies. And he said, I don't know if this is true, but he said he read somewhere some compilation of the most commonly said line in movies, and it was, let's get out of here. So anyway, (laughs) she would say that would come up for her. Let's get out of here, you know, turn and run. But it doesn't work. (laughs) Then sometimes, and Bonnie always reminds me this because she says she heard me say it in a talk years ago, Sometimes when the, the anger's there, it's a wind roaring in empty space, but it's not quite that empty, you know? And you want to be with it. You really don't want to act on it. You don't want to speak from it, but it's so strong. And kind of, oh yeah, let me just be mindfulness of, let me just be mindful of the contact, seeing, seeing. It's like, forget about it. But you can be mindfulness isn't always neat and tidy. So this is what I call stomping meditation. You know, there's this energy, it's really strong. You can't just sit here and go, mindful, anger, 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 because you feel like you're gonna explode. But that doesn't mean we can't be mindful. Mindful can be precise, it can be wide. So go outside, hopefully where no one can see you, and not in in the hall up there where you're two inches away from somebody else. Go away from people and just stomp, anger. Anger, you're feeling it. Let that energy move. But you're aware it's anger. You don't have to try and be precise. Let me see, where's the sensation here? It's just stomping. But I, I found that, I've found that extremely helpful. And the, the thoughts roar and your, the energy's moving, but you're aware. You're aware. That counts. It's awareness, you know. It'll cool out eventually. And then the other one, just last to say, is, is what I was saying for sometimes... You can tell something's going on, but you can't tell what. So remember to tune into the subtle background state. And really, like as Tejaniya is always talking about, really noticing the attitude in the mind. Take care of the awareness first. So notice when you start to see there's like a, a lens of ill will over everything, just tune in and see. You might just feel tightness in the heart and the mind. You might notice there's aversion. And that's the place to bring the attention. Not try to fix it, not try to deal with each specific object that's occurring. It doesn't even matter. But take care of the awareness, as he says. Just notice that that's what's going on. Sometimes you might see something really so simple that's giving rise to that. A friend told me again from a three-month retreat years ago, he noticed it took him most of the day to notice that he'd had a real ill will aversion lens on his perception about everybody and everything, you know, that space. And finally, he, he noticed it finally. So that was good. That's an awareness. And then he was kind of, well, what's happening now? So he just tuned in and he saw 
And he was laughing as he told me. He noticed that he'd, a sweatshirt he'd been wearing all day was too tight. <laughs> That's it. That was it. So when he'd move his arms, it, you know, it was a little unpleasant when he moved his arms. And he didn't notice. And it led into a whole day of ill will. It's like, <laughs> mindfulness is our friend. <laughs> we don't need to be afraid to check this stuff out. Not recognizing, to me, this is the most profound suffering of dosa, of all the three roots, is that when we don't recognize it, it blocks the radiance of a pure mind, a pure heart, of simple awareness. Which, once we make friends with, I can make friends, but we can just be with, okay, he could be with that dosa covering his leg. He could say, okay, my sweatshirt's too tight, this unpleasant feeling's like this, that radiance, just the sense of peace and ease is available again. And this pulling back, this, all this confusion that comes in through the knee-jerk response of dosa prevents, blocks the recognition of that. To me, that's the deepest suffering. Bankai, Japanese Zen master, said, when you, don't set your, when you do not set yourself in contention, in conflict, with things, then your primary nature reveals itself in its true form. And that's really like the heart of the suffering of dosa and the freedom when we're not fighting with it. Pema Chodron, she makes a simile of our habit of shutting down in the face of even just fearing the unpleasant, not even unpleasant, to a sea anemone. Do you know what a sea anemone is? A kind of a a soft sea creature with tentacles and if you just touch it, it closes around itself. So she likens our, our habit of closing off to avoid unpleasant as like that, that is really a, a movement to protect in a way our tender heart. But the effect is to shut ourselves off from ourselves and from everyone else. That's, that's kind of the drawback <laughs> of the way things are. We can't shut down selectively. You know, we don't get to just get rid of the unpleasant aversion and hang on to the pleasant. We can't shut down selectively. So I've noticed in myself often in retreat, but even more in my life, that the times I feel the most alienated or disconnected or just out of sync, and, you know, my mind can be telling myself any story about why, but I've noticed again and again that when that's true, when I, when I finally stop and look, I find that it's because I'm somehow trying to avoid or deny or repress some unpleasant or difficult experience. Just trying not to, don't want to be there for it. It could be so-called internal or so-called external, right? It could be some unpleasant thing that's going on with me in relationship to a friend. Or it could be, I've seen times when something really difficult or painful or sorrowful is going on with a family member or a dear friend, and it's really painful. And it's like, okay, I want to know, but I don't, you don't really want to completely let it in and feel it. And as soon as I recognize, oh, yeah, right, 
that's really sorrowful. She's really suffering right now and there's nothing I can actually do about it. It feels like this. Then the whole sense of opening into feeling alive again, you know, feeling connected again, feeling open to the sorrow, but also open to the beauty, open to love, open to connectedness to how it is, you know, it all comes together in that way. I think this is, um, to me, the jewel in the heart of our practice, but the jewel in the heart of uh, mindfulness, wisdom, being willing and able to be with all the aspects of dosa, which are suffering in themselves, and the unpleasant that gives rise to it. The jewel is that by landing in this, even just for a moment with mindfulness, wisdom, that's the arising of compassion. That's how compassion comes. As the Dalai Lama has said over and over, compassion develops through deep insight into what suffering is. And this insight comes from being with our own experience. What else? Being with our own experience and it naturally widens and strengthens into a sense of empathy with all beings. So when something really difficult is happening and all the forms of dosa are present, the dosa itself could be the difficulty or the, or the uh, instigating sense contact, that's arising due to past karmic conditions, right? That it's happening in this moment is out of your control, you know? You can't change this moment. It's, it's already gone. How the mind awareness is meeting this moment of our experience, that's what can be affecting the shift of habit. So meeting aversion, fear, resentment, or whatever, the attitude of how we meet this arising moment, that is the path of purification, of change, of opening the tender heart. This is really how compassion is being cultivated on a moment-to-moment basis here, not just in the Brahma Vihara, but every time there's something painful or difficult, or you know, I don't want to open this, okay, it's like this. Just for a second, that moment of tender awareness without dosa, without greed, without just like this now, that is the cultivation of compassion and wisdom. That is the shifting, the purification of habit. It's just a mind moment, but it's all mind moments. And th- this is not something to overlook, it's just really being present with it. So, of course, I don't have time for all these ways. I need to just mention, though, Shabkar, the great Tibetan yogi, said, meditating without compassion is simply to inflict hardship on yourself. (laughs) Okay? So sometimes just the meeting is compassion, but there's times I referred to earlier that it's the intensity of the difficulty that's coming up, the painful emotion, is just so intense, either comes up so strong and fast, or it's such a deep, you know, traumatic habit pattern, and in the moment, the mindfulness awareness can touch it, but bounces off, and it's just too strong to touch it, you know? Compassion is recognizing this is how it is right now. It's not good or bad. It's not your, don't go to the judging, I'm not perfect place. Recognize this is how it is right now, and then, as, as Sayadaw Tejaniya says, when we realize, okay, the ill will, 
the fear, the terror, the rage, is stronger than the mindfulness right now, is stronger than the awareness. It's, and the more we're trying to be mindful, the more you know, the dose is being fed. You can see it's spinning out of control. Well, that's just wisdom to recognize this is this, what's happening right now. So Tejaniya says, it's not necessarily skillful mindfulness to drown in the difficult situation. So check what's going on in the mind if it's a mental state or it's a physical pain. Don't keep paying attention to that. We need to refresh the awareness, to move the attention away from the, the, the triggering physical or mental emotional pain and refresh the awareness. It may be that we, we bring the awareness. We don't abandon awareness. That doesn't have to be our first line. But bring the awareness to something neutral or to something beautiful. Thich Nhat Hanh used to talk about cultivating seeds of joy in the midst of the Vietnam War when he was working with social workers and they were in really difficult situations. He'd say, just go out in the fields and smell the herbs at night. You may think in the midst of horror, smelling the herbs at night, you know, what's that going to do? It refreshes the awareness. It brings a balance back to the heart and mind. It moves the attention away from getting lost in dosa. And it can just bring just for a moment balance. This is really important. This is an act of compassion. Very important, Thich Nhat Hanh says, to adjust your attitude first. Take care of your awareness the way the mind awareness is looking at the situation before you do anything about adjusting the environment. What I said before, we can't recognize accurately with ill will, with dosa. But so there's many ways to shift the attention to refresh the awareness, something neutral, something pleasant, go with seeing, go with hearing, the Brahma Viharas, or contemplating something the Buddha offers, contemplate, your own wholesome moral conduct. Contemplate, bring into heart and mind all your acts of generosity of, of thought, speech, and action. This isn't an ego thing. It actually brightens the heart, the mind. Contemplate whatever brings you faith, whatever your aspiration is. The Buddha often used this of, he'd look over a group of people and see someone who he thought could hear the Dharma, but their mind wasn't ready. So he'd talk about sila, he'd talk about dana, he'd talk about faith, until the mind and heart was brightened, the awareness was balanced, and then they could hear the Dhamma. We can do that ourselves. Find ways to refresh the awareness. It's not like we've got to get to the bottom and get rid of all the dosa and all the unpleasant now. Forget about it. But each moment that we're cultivating. Either start with satipanya, when that's not possible, refresh the awareness. You're still practicing satipanya, mindfulness wisdom. You're cultivating the wholesome, the balance that can then again meet the difficult situation. So I just want to end with a story that I think talks about what the Dalai Lama was saying, that by being able to meet our own difficulty, suffering, whatever, whatever form it's taking, whatever dosa, not letting dosa run the show, recognizing it. It widens, that compassion for ourselves widens into empathy and compassion for all beings. And really, for me, so-called internal, external, you know. Why is someone else's pain hard for us? Because we don't want to feel it here. 
So this, I heard this story on the, on the radio last fall. I think I told it in the three months. It was about you know, the whole migrant crisis in Europe, which I'm sure you're aware of, and so many people and so many wretched and horrible situations. So this was a reporter was talking about interviewing people in, I don't know if you remember, in Calais, in France, on the coast of France. There's a huge refugee internment camp that they call the jungle. And at this point, a lot of refugees were, were caught there basically trying to get to the UK, you know, and weren't able to make it. And they were, you know, kept there and in really uh, horrible, horrible conditions, of course, and not wanting to be there. And at this time, they were trying to close the camp, so it was in the news a lot. And anyway, this reporter had gone there and reporting about the conditions and how hard it was. And then he went into Calais and was just talking, you know, just a kind of normal, average French people. And so this reporter was talking to one particular woman, just a middle-aged French woman, saying, and she was just saying how, you know, this camp is so horrible and the people in it, they shouldn't be here, they should go back where they came and they're really bad and it's bringing trouble to Calais. You know, all the, you know, the usual kind of stuff you can read. So she was going on and clearly coming from anger but also fear, you could hear that. So as he spoke to her, he, somebody was thinking, well, he got her to agree to come to, to the camp with him, to visit the camp, which is already huge for someone feeling that. So she was already willing to just meet, you know, her fear. So she went to the camp with him and they just went in and she's, as she's looking around and seeing how people were living out in the elements and in crummy tents and packed in and not anything to do, she's just going, wow. These conditions are horrible. Nobody should have to live like this. Just seeing it. Just, but that meant she was willing to touch that pain in herself. And then he, he just meant she was talking to one young man who was just describing, you know, how hard it was being there without his family and all he wanted to do was work, but there was no work. There was nothing to do. And if they went outside the camp, he felt really kind of preyed upon by various truck drivers and the police and he just felt completely, you know, vulnerable and attacked and stuff. And she got so moved. She saw, oh, this is a really, you know, lovely young man, an educated young man. He just wants to work. He just wants to live in safety. So then she ended up by going to the office of the camp and saying, what can I do to volunteer here to help people? It's like amazing, just the willingness to, to face our own suffering and fear naturally morphs into connectedness and compassion. So, as James Baldwin says, you know, an enemy is someone whose story we have not heard. So just, just hearing what story's coming up in this mind moment in your chitta. Thank you for listening. So we started a little late, so if the bell ringer would ring the bell at nine o'clock, and then we can come back at five past nine and have our sitting together. Thank you.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.